Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm so excited today to have my guest, TJ Woodward. TJ Woodward is a revolutionary recovery expert, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and addiction treatment specialist who has helped countless people through his simple yet powerful teachings. He's the creator of the Conscious Recovery Method, which is a groundbreaking and effective approach to viewing and treating addiction. TJ is also the author of the books Conscious Being, Awakening to Your True Nature, and the Conscious Recovery Workbook, which I happen to co-author with him. Welcome, TJ. I'm so excited to have you here with us. Me too. I know that you and I could talk about this particular topic for about three hours. I'm sure we won't, but I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I love the name of your podcast, and I'm really uh, excited about the conversation. Yes, yes. So let's talk a little bit, because I think this is relevant to... um, to what we're going to be talking about today with addiction and recovery, how you and I met and how we shared a similar view of the work that we were doing. Yeah, I think it was 2009. Uh, We were working in a high-end treatment program. You came on as the clinical director of outpatient services. I was there and I remember in your first week there, you sat in on one of my groups and there was an instant connection, not only in the material and the point of view or the perspective about addiction, that especially at that time was really uh, not the accepted norm, but also just an energetic uh, connection with you. And it's been incredible um, collaborating with you over the years and co-facilitating retreats, and as you said, uh, co-authoring the Conscious Recovery Workbook. So that's how it all began, and I am looking forward to the infinite possibilities of of this moment and ongoing. Yes, and one of the things that really brought us together is that we were really a bit frustrated by the limitations of the treatment system. Say more about that. Well, I when I started working in the addiction treatment field, I had already been in recovery myself for 20 years, and I quickly realized, or it actually just let me have a deeper awareness of what I already knew, and that is most treatment is focused on symptoms and behaviors, right? And not only is it mostly focused on symptoms and behaviors, it's also viewing the person with an addiction through the lens of brokenness in some way, or there's something wrong here. And most clinicians, very well-meaning, are taught to diagnose and treat. And of course, we know that that's really important, but it's also limited at some point. And one of the places where you and I bonded is really the question of what are the infinite possibilities and what would happen if I would look at my client through the lens of their own innate ability to heal. So I actually think we're in a paradigm shift from addiction treatment to addiction healing. So that's really where we bond in a really, really deep way. 
Yeah, because I really think my perception of it is that Western psychology and psychiatry is coming out of the medical model. And the medical model is all about identifying symptoms, giving a label or a diagnosis, and then giving the appropriate treatment for that diagnosis. How is conscious recovery, the method, and the way that you are working with clients different from that? Well, there's two distinct things that are different. Exactly as you just said, the Western medical model is what are your symptoms? How do I, as the doctor, the clinician, the therapist, the psychiatrist, help you eradicate them? But what we know is getting rid of the symptoms or treating the symptoms is only a temporary, it's a band-aid on a much larger issue. So the two different ways that conscious recovery is different. One, we are looking at what are the deeper root causes. We're looking at the addiction, not as the problem, but as a brilliant strategy that served the person well at some point, but is no longer necessarily doing what they are wanting it to. In other words, conscious recovery gets down to the deeper root causes. But I think the other place or the other piece that makes conscious recovery different, which I think is even more powerful, is this idea of wholeness, this idea that we come into this world as whole and perfect. We have an essential self that's whole and perfect. So if it's true that underneath all the addictive behavior is a whole and perfect person, then if we're only treating the symptoms, we're not getting down to creating a space for someone to actually heal from some of this. And I actually think there's an unconscious um, approach to uh, addiction treatment where maybe, and again, I'm not saying this is conscious, but maybe we don't um, really know how to create a space for our clients to heal. And maybe we don't even necessarily want them to heal because they keep coming back for more and more treatment. And again, to be clear, I don't think that's conscious for most people. The people I know working in the field really want to help people, but there's a deeper approach here that you and I both share. Right. And there's so much to unpack with everything that you just said. So I want to go back to a specific term you use called brilliant strategy. What do you yeah. mean by that? I don't hear very many people looking at anything related to addiction as a brilliant strategy. Correct. We tend to think of what's wrong with the addiction. We use terms in the uh, field of psychology, mental health, and addiction treatment uh, that I think are really disempowering. One of the terms we use is defense mechanism, right? And if you think about a defense, it's building a wall, it's protecting yourself. It might even be like violent, right? Defending ourselves could be something that's really violent. When we shift that to brilliant strategy, we can start to look at the way it was once brilliant. So in my own recovery journey, I spent my first 10 years of recovery feeling broken, feeling damaged, feeling not good enough. And a part of that was I had a lot of shame for my drug use, my alcohol um, consumption. And when I realized that I could shift it from you know, coping mechanism or defense mechanism to brilliant strategy, I could shift the, from a place of shame to a place of curiosity. Wow, I was medicating something. That was not only the best I could do, but it actually really did help me in the beginning. And then the other piece that's important, it, is, it empowers the person that's in recovery to make a choice because how many people are being told you should stop drinking and using? 
how many 20 somethings have we worked with or adolescents where everyone in their family system is making them wrong for what they're doing? You need to stop using. So if we come in as clinicians and call it a defense mechanism, we're kind of unconsciously doing the same. If I say to someone, hmm, I wonder how that was brilliant at one time. In what ways did it serve you? In what ways is it still serving you? And then in what ways is it not? Then they have the power to really become curious about what is and isn't working for them. And I love that approach so much. It's what speaks to me as well as, as an empowerment coach, you know, and so focused on wanting to empower my clients to change their reality, not for me to come in as the expert and let me tell you what you need to do. It's more like living in the question, which is, you know, something you talk about in the Conscious Recovery book as one of these principles. When we live in the question, we don't assume we have all the answers. We let the client ask the questions and let them come to the awareness of what's true for them. Yeah. I mean, one of the predominant models in recovery, whether that's recovery support groups or treatment, is there's a tendency for people that are coming out of an addiction to be talked at. Uh, you need to, I've, I've heard, it breaks my heart, honestly, when I hear it. You just need to sit down and shut up and let me tell you what you need to do. I mean, I worked at a high-end treatment program that sure remained nameless, but I co-facilitated a process group with the clinical director. And he literally would say to clients, you need to learn how to shut up and listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. You do not. Now, we could, we could talk for hours about that, but empowerment is really important because here's the bottom line, Adrian, and I know you know this to the listeners and viewers, I don't think we really change unless we wanna change. So if I'm creating a space where I'm telling you, you, there's something wrong with what you're doing, you need to change, that's not creating the infinite possibility that someone can be empowered to say, this is working in this way, but not in this way. I'm now empowered to make a choice. Now they're gonna need some support with that. We're not saying that someone can be on their own and heal themselves of this necessarily. They're probably gonna need support, but really support looks like holding a space for them. I actually don't know what someone else needs. That has been both the most painful journey getting to that, but also the most freedom because I don't know what anyone else needs to do on planet Earth. I can hold a space for us to explore that inner wisdom. And that actually is not only more powerful, but it's the energy around it is really light, not only for the, the person that is, you know, the client, but also for me as the counselor or clinician, it's like, whoa, this is energizing. And we can start to really take a look at in what way the strategy is and is not working. There's so much I wanted to ask you more about in everything you just said. This is such a nutrient-dense conversation. Um, <laughs> the thing you said about um, the clinicians getting energized, this yeah. is something you and I have actually spoken about in public before around this idea of um, what we call in the field compassion fatigue or burnout or even vicarious traumatization when you're listening you know, all day to people's upsets and traumas and this, you know, the horrible experiences they've had. How does, say a little bit more about how the conscious recovery approach prevents some of that, whereas more traditional treatment paradigms tend to result in therapist burnout. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, there's a couple things. One, as part of the clinical training that is conscious recovery, there's a piece called the energizing power of presence. If I believe that someone is their trauma and I believe I'm supposed to help them fix that trauma, I'm going to be exhausted at the end of the day. I remember, you know, early in this field, hearing person after person sharing their trauma. And I was able to recognize that if I was to view that as only through the lens of terrible or broken, I unconsciously thought it was my job to fix them. I was exhausted and I was feeling burnt out and I was taking on the trauma of the person I was working with, if you will. But what I discovered kind of through uh, my spiritual training and my own practice, that when I create a space, an openness, a curiosity, I have this new acronym that I'm working with that I have become a cop, curious, open, and present. I never thought I'd say I was going to become a cop, but <laughs> that, that is an acronym that I remind myself. And when I do that, when I recognize the person's not their trauma, the person's not their anger, they're not their sadness, that's a symptom of something there's something that happens that's really energizing. I think it's a, the, the story goes, it's kind of a joke, but the story goes, there was a spiritual practitioner and a psychiatrist that shared the same office space. And in the evenings, they'd ride the elevator down together to the parking lot, to their car. And the psychiatrist would say, oh, I'm exhausted. I've seen 12 clients today. I am feeling so burnt out. And the spiritual practitioner said, I know I saw 12 clients today too. And I am energized because there's something about holding that spiritual space that's energizing for both the client and the clinician. Which brings me to another point that I wanted to explore with you, which is this idea of bringing and incorporating the spiritual into addiction treatment, right? You talk about in conscious recovery, the four rooms. Yeah. And I think that the traditional you know, treatment model tends to focus more on two or three of those rooms. Yeah. Elsewhere. Well, there's a, there are a couple things I'll say. Yeah, most addiction treatment models focus only on the physical and the intellectual with some, a little bit of the emotional, right, in the therapy work. And then you've got some support groups that kind of focus only on what they call spiritual. So I want to say, first and foremost, when I'm talking about spiritual and when we talk about it in conscious recovery, we're not talking about finding a higher power that's up there and out there. That is great for some people, but what we're actually talking about is that essential beingness that we come in with, that essential self that is whole and perfect. Uh, most people can remember being really young and remembering feeling really connected. We do work with people, of course, that came into such trauma early in life that they don't even remember that joy. But in conscious recovery, we're looking at the spiritual room as that room of wholeness, that infinite beingness that they are that's underneath all the shame and the trauma and the disconnection. So conscious recovery is coming in and offering the question, what if recovery is more about unlearning and returning to that essential uh, truth, that a return to wholeness, which is the third part of conscious recovery, once we break the cycle of addiction, can we return to this whole and perfect spiritual place? That's what we're working with in conscious recovery. And that's what makes it really different. Absolutely. And this is also to say we're not discounting anything 
in the physical, the four rooms that, you know, we're referring to here are the physical, uh, mental or intellectual, you know, emotional and spiritual. By all means, we do need to address all those other issues. In fact, you even say you should spend time each day in the four rooms. We have to address the body. We have to address the, the mind, the emotions, all of that, of course. But we don't want to exclude the spiritual. To me, this is so much of a more holistic and comprehensive approach than what we've seen, again, in the more traditional paradigm. Yeah, exactly. So uh, with conscious recovery, we're really clear to say this is something that will enhance anything you're already doing. We're not saying, you know, because it is interesting when I hear certain recovery models saying like, this is the one and only. We're saying, yeah, all of this is really great. Of course, there are physical aspects. Of course, there are probably, you know, chemical imbalances that, that are part of it. There are things that live in the mental room or intellectual room, and there are emotions. There's also this spiritual piece. And it's important, as you said, truly holistic treatment is to be able to look at all four of those rooms and offer tools to help people access all of those rooms. If we're focused, like we could focus only on the spiritual and we might need to address the physical and intellectual and we don't wanna do that either. This is about truly integrated holistic treatment, which is looking at all different aspects of not only the addiction, but also the recovery. Right, and so another important element I want us to look at is what you address as the three root causes of addiction. Um, can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, and so in conscious recovery, we identify the root causes of addiction. Perfect timing that you're asking this question after we discuss the four rooms. So when I say this is what I've discovered as the three root causes, I don't mean uh, in the physical or the intellectual necessarily. We're talking about more the spiritual and emotional aspects. And in those rooms, I identify unresolved trauma, spiritual disconnection, and toxic shame. And again, the spiritual disconnection we're talking about is a disconnection from the essential self. So for somebody who hasn't had um, any sort of maybe background in or learn much about spirituality, or they think spirituality means like organized religion. Can you flesh it out for us a little bit? What do you mean by spirituality? And what do you mean by spiritual connection or disconnection? Yeah, and one of the exercises in the workbook that we created is asking someone for themselves to identify and uh, describe what spirituality is because one of the things that's so important, and you know, there have been moments when I thought maybe the word spiritual isn't even the best word because so many people you know, connect religion and spirituality. Uh, there are a lot of different ideas. We are looking at it really, really simply because I like simple. We come into this world as a whole and perfect being and we come into a world that starts to program us. And, you know, Adriana, you know well that we carry the generational trauma of seven generations back, right? So great, 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 however many grandparents, uh, you know, experience trauma and it gets passed down from generation to generation. That's not our essential self. That is what we might call the human experience I frame that differently. That might be a whole different show, but it's really that we come into the world open, whole and perfect, curious, present, 
if you look at a pre-programmed human, that's usually before two or th it's around two or three, they're very, very present. They're very much connected with their emotions. They're not afraid to tell you exactly. I remember my nephew when he was like three sat on my lap and said, uncle TJ, your breath stinks. I mean, they're just so open. They're just so present, right? Then we start to program them. It's not okay to say that, right? So we start to damage that deep connection with our essential truth and conscious recovery identifies that as the programs create the disconnection and it's really about returning to that. Yeah, you also talk about how when um, even, you know, the unresolved trauma piece and the toxic shame that can get created with that and the core false beliefs, these are all um, principles that are discussed early on in the first part of the book. Can you tell us a little bit more about what do you mean by unresolved trauma? Because a lot of people will say, well, I never experienced any trauma. You know, I, I can't relate to that. Uh, so what do you mean when you use that term? Yeah, I like to use a pretty broad definition. And it is true that a lot of people say, I haven't experienced trauma. I think if you are born on planet Earth, you have experienced trauma. Because, again, how many of us in kindergarten, I mean, if Mr. Rogers was your kindergartner, kindergarten teacher, you might have gotten this. But how many of us were told you're whole and perfect just the way you are? You're an infinite being. You are literally love and light. That's not what most of us are taught. So we get taught about competition. I remember when I first saw violence on TV. I remember when I heard derogatory things say, said about people because of their race or their gender. And it was shocking to me. And so that's a traumatic experience. Anything that is taught to us other than we're infinite beings uh, is trauma. Now, some people say, are you kidding me? Do you really think that that's traumatic? What would the world look like if we were literally to teach our children, you are capable of infinite possibilities. You are a whole and perfect being. When we separate from that truth, through a traumatic experience, being taught that we're other than that. I mean, you know, I, when I do presentations, I will often show a picture of myself at three. Uh, and my mother would say, I, I, I figured out you were going to be gay by the time you were four. I look at my three-year-old picture and ask her what took her so long. Because there I was being my effervescent self. And I came into a world in Indiana in the 1970s that wasn't celebrating that. I was supposed to look like a boy, dress like a boy, talk like a boy. All of that is trauma. And uh, it may not be easy for people to identify if we're comparing it, right? I would say, well, I can't consider that trauma. I know someone that was beaten every day by their father, right? So it's not about minimizing or maximizing. It's about looking at what experiences were traumatic to your physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual self. Right, right. And oftentimes what ends up happening when we have these traumatic events is we learn things about ourselves. We come to conclusions, yeah. right, about ourselves, about the world, uh, about our safety in the world. And we develop these core beliefs about ourselves and the world around us. But you talk about those as being false. What do you mean by that? Well, as you said, we, we have these experiences and then we develop what I call core false beliefs. And the reason I like to add false is 
it's not true that I'm broken, right? It's just not true, especially if we look at most of those beliefs were created so early in life when we didn't even have the cognitive ability to understand. You talk about, you know, the child mind is a more simplistic mind, good, bad, right, wrong. If one of my caregivers is mad at me, I must have done something wrong. Uh, in my own case, in my own journey, my mother had mental health issues that she was working with. Um, it was back in the 70s when diet pills were really speed. She was taking a lot of those, right? And so I grew up um, in a very, very unpredictable home. I didn't know if I was going to get depressed mom or raging mom. And if I got raging mom, I would conclude that I did something wrong, but I really concluded that I was wrong. If I got depressed, mom, why doesn't mom see me? Oh, I'm not lovable. So it doesn't have to make cognitive sense, right? So I can say, well, of course that's not true. But that doesn't actually change it because it got concretized in my subconscious or unconscious when I was too young to understand maybe it's mom that's kind of effed up. It's not me, right? So again, we're taking on the trauma from our caregivers and she i know her relationship with her mother she took it on from her how many generations back so the healing isn't only mental right we don't just change those core false beliefs by affirming the opposite because it's really the three-year-old the four-year-old the five-year-old that decided that really early on Right. And that's really what you're referring to as the toxic shame, right? That's that sense that I'm fundamentally wrong. I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm not enough. Yes, that's it, right? Because there, the shame, of course, we now know there's so much conversation about shame. I always like to plug John Bradshaw because he was in the 80s talking about shame as a connection to addiction before in, in my uh, memory before anyone else really was. Shame is a belief in my own brokenness. So if I'm walking around believing I'm broken, there's something fundamentally wrong with me, I'm going to develop strategies to try to manage that. So in my case, and in many clients I work with, if I'm carrying the belief I'm not lovable, my strategy for that might be to try to get people to love me no matter what. Please love me, please love me. It also might be, I don't need you, I'm fine. I, I'm gonna build this wall here. I kind of did both. And so if we only work with the strategies, right? Like how do I learn how to let love in? Well, if I'm carrying the core frequency or belief of my own brokenness, also known as shame, I can, I can try to change the externals, uh, as the saying goes, if I only focus on the symptoms, it's like changing deck chairs on the Titanic, right? The ship's going down. We need to get down to where these core beliefs originated and not how do we eradicate them, but how do we start to work with them in a different way and start to question them? Right, which really takes us to the second and third parts of the book, right? Which is all about um, unlearning and practicing spiritual principles and returning to wholeness, as you mentioned before. So tell us, what are some of the tools and strategies that you have found so effective with the conscious recovery method? Yeah, there are so many. So I want to say two things. One, the first uh, section, if you will, in the recovery piece, breaking the cycle of addiction is creating safety. 
external safety, internal safety. Uh, I, I just wanted to name that because that's an important part of early recovery or for that matter, uh, working with mental health or any other issue, we have to first establish some degree of safety. One principle or practice that I'll focus on because you and I love it is living in the question. Um, I came into recovery in 86 and then into uh, some sort of new thought spiritual teaching in 88. And I quickly grabbed onto the idea of affirmations, right? Uh, I was really in touch with that I felt unlovable and broken. So I thought I could just say, I am lovable in every way. And although that helped, conscious recovery takes a different, a different and deeper approach. It's not only the affirmation or in some of the other modalities, opposite action, that can help, but we really need to get down and start questioning where those beliefs originated. So we can start asking questions like, when did I first start believing this? I know a question you use a lot is, whose is this anyway? It might be mom's shame, which is also grandmother's shame and on and on and on. Whose is it anyway? Maybe it's not even mine. What might happen if I were to experience this in a different way? What else is possible here? How do I love myself in this moment? All of these questions, and we go into detail about how you actually practice the living and the questions uh, process, but it's a way for us to start getting down to the deeper root causes and questioning the validity of them in the first place. Right. And then another section that I love is practicing spiritual principles. Principles. Can you give us a little taste of what those are? Yeah, there are a few of them in there. There's the principle of um, impermanence. Uh, there, you know, one of the things that is happening in our world right now is we're really aware that things in the outer realm aren't that predictable, right? So making peace with impermanence is one of the spiritual principles we work with in there. There's also a whole chapter in the book called Owning Your Power because a lot of modalities focus on powerlessness, but we really wanna focus on becoming empowered. And one of them that I love is the power of perspective. How much of my life is perspective? How do I start shifting that perspective and changing what we call reality? And you know, one of, uh, or two really of my favorites are non-resistance and non-judgment. Absolutely, so judgments restrict. Um, when I have a judgment of myself or the world, I get locked in a particular way of seeing and being. So non-judgment, it goes right back to that question. Where did I get this idea? How else might I view it? What else is possible here? Right. I just love this conversation so much. And I love the tagline, you know, of the book, a fresh perspective on addiction. And um, I really think that we are changing the paradigm. You are changing the paradigm with this work. Um, and it's been so exciting, you know, uh, to watch from the birth of the book, you know, to it's like, you know, creation in the world. Look at your, your symbol of the dandelion, you know, and your logo, the dandelion spreads its seeds everywhere. Tell us about like what's happened since you wrote the book right? What's been some of the feedback you've gotten and where has conscious recovery gone out in the world? Well, it's interesting. It goes way back to when you and I met back in 2009, right? That's when I first started developing this system of care, this way to look at clients, these groups that have become conscious recovery. And then several years ago, I wrote 
Conscious Recovery and then partnered with you to create the workbook. And wow, since then, it's um, become a whole system of care that I created for treatment programs. There are currently eight different Conscious Recovery certified treatment programs and dozens more that I'm about to start working with to create a new possibility, a fresh perspective. Uh, also um, partnered with wholehearted.org recently, which is um, Brene Brown, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, Mark Lundholm. Uh, it's a platform where we've created online clinical trainings, online conscious recovery for individuals. So the feedback, the feedback has been phenomenal. Uh, what I wanna say about it is especially clients that are under 30, they're coming in with a new consciousness. And the old paradigm of because I said so, that sort of authoritarian approach doesn't work for the new generation. They're like, no, I want to be empowered and I want to question this for myself. So the younger generation is just really grabbing onto this, this idea of returning to wholeness rather than seeking outside of ourselves. So I'm extremely grateful. Uh, I'm really excited to see what happens next. And I remind myself on a daily basis, the why of this for me and the why is I suffered for a long time in early recovery. Um, some of the most painful experiences of my life were in my first few years of recovery because I was being told that I was broken. I was being told to turn it over. I was being told that my best thinking was effed up and that I needed to surrender. And all of that worked for a while, but then it became really painful. And when I discovered this new path, um, it changed my life. So the why for me is I don't want people to have to suffer the way I did. There is a different approach. There is a new way of, of treating and viewing and ultimately healing addiction. Yeah. And, you know, as someone who facilitates the conscious recovery uh, curriculum in treatment programs, uh, the clients, they just love, they love the groups. They love afterwards. They feel inspired we do them in one of the programs on friday afternoon so they're going into the weekend feeling like tired but inspired and hopeful and um like what i'm not as effed up as i think i am like this is such a revolutionary concept for folks and you know you and i have spoken at conferences before and people have come up people i don't even know have come up to me and said you know your work is changing people's lives i mean this is huge tj you know this is really and I know what your vision is. You want to share that with the, the viewers uh, and the listeners? What is your bigger vision? <laughs> My vision, recovery? the vision keeps growing. I mean, at this point, I, I'll say I would love to see conscious recovery at every treatment program in the world because I think it's an, an, a fresh approach that really is changing lives. And it's really, it's really um, you know, I know, I know that uh, speaking of peace with impermanence, so far in the evolution of human consciousness, I probably won't be here in this body forever, right? I'm, I'm most likely going to move on, and I'm at peace with that. But I also want to make sure that I leave something not as a personal legacy, like, oh, isn't that great what he did, but as an actual um, part of changing the paradigm, not just in addiction and recovery, but in the way we view ourselves as human beings. You know, I just, the consciousness is emerging. More and more of us are waking up to this greater reality. We're at 
a moment in history where we're being invited to go within and look at what's really important so that we can come out being more on purpose and more clear that we can start to shift uh, in really powerful ways the way we view and treat each other. And uh, my big intention before leaving planet Earth is to see you know millions of lives changed by this simple yet I think really powerful uh, perspective. I agree. And it's been such a privilege to speak with you today and explore these possibilities. How can people find you? Um, how can they learn more about conscious recovery? Probably the best is tjwoodward.com. You can see uh, Conscious Recovery's website from there and also wholehearted.org, uh, all the social media, but tjwoodward.com is the best place. Yeah, and this material is available in a wide assortment of uh, methods from books to digital e-courses to private coaching sessions. I mean, there's so many, you've tried to make it so um, available to people at multiple levels and multiple you know price points and all of that kind of stuff and i love that because more than anything else and there's tons of videos out there you have a whole youtube channel and everything we just want this material to get into the hands of more people and that's really the spirit of this whole podcast is to empower people to know that they have choices it isn't just one treatment fits all and what else is possible that could actually work for you when other methods have not that's it. And thank you for saying yes to your calling, because I know how important it is, not only in the smaller pie of mental health that is addiction and recovery, but a broader approach to well-being in general. How can we step into our infinite possibilities? Yes. So thanks again so much, TJ. And thank you all for tuning in today. Dr. Adriana Popescu signing off. What else is possible with mental health, addiction, recovery, and everything else? Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.